Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Tuesday, December 28th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 50. This episode is brought to you by Polycultured, our farm resources blog. We create informative content about a variety of topics, including organic agriculture, composting, seed saving, herbalism, permaculture strategies, and more. Polycultured is looking forward to sharing our farm offerings with you. If you're interested in our work, you can visit our site at www.polyculture.com. I wanted to make this episode to talk about how to apply the permaculture design principles to modern homes and potential properties that you might be looking at in the future. If you're like me, you've probably been dreaming and envisioning your permaculture farm, sustainable homestead, or community center. And you've probably been thinking about how to achieve more of a village lifestyle instead of, say, a suburban neighborhood. I've been slowly building my skills and knowledge so that I can apply my knowledge of permaculture to larger scale projects. I've heard it said that the most sustainable building is the building that's already built. Even the most energy efficient new builds still need raw materials in order to build them. Those raw materials are processed, shipped, delivered, and then must be assembled. This makes new builds a resource and energy-heavy project, and this is why existing conventional buildings should be retrofitted and remodeled into green buildings when possible. The modern house is just a shell. It's a structure that's got to be hooked into all of these grids, like electricity, fresh water and plumbing, internet, and without them, the house isn't really livable. So when we think about making our buildings like our homes and offices more efficient, we need to think about the systems of that building and how to make them healthier, more secure, and more sustainable. Eco-centered systems can also have automated conventional backups, and things can be added into existing conventional buildings just through renovation. The more off-grid systems that we can build, the more multiple use and cyclical our energy use will be. This enhances our lives in both physical and psychological ways. Retrofitting does not need to be overly complex or overly expensive. It can start by making small and steady improvements to your existing building design to maximize your resources and create more relationships between things. I started by asking myself, why is it practical to retrofit a building with permaculture design principles? So retrofitting an existing building is first off probably going to be more cost effective than building a new facility. Buildings consume lots of energy, especially for heating and cooling, and buildings make up a large portion of our environment. They waste resources with their inefficiency. So the first practical reason to retrofit a building is to begin to conserve the energy that your building expends. And the next reason why it's practical to retrofit a building with permaculture is because by integrating more biosystems into the building, you meet multiple needs at once. For example, by making the building more energy efficient, it becomes less costly to operate, increases in value, the structure lasts longer, and the building contributes to a healthier and more comfortable environment for people, indigenous plants and animals, and migrating animals too. The effect on people cannot be understated, as improving the indoor environment decreases moisture and mold, which help improve the health of the building's occupants. Even historical buildings can be retrofit, 
but first must be given special consideration. However, historic buildings can benefit from eco-restoration as it improves the building's long-term resiliency. There are some things you need to consider before you make this investment of retrofitting your home or existing building. Of course, the investment needs to be properly determined. The first questions to ask are whether the building is structurally sound, whether hazardous materials are present and need to be removed, and is occupant relocation necessary for the project. Most retrofitting projects will be done in phases to complete the work. If you're looking into berming the property or having a green roof, you must consider the additional weight and structural requirements for this feature. You'll also want to take an accounting of existing resources like excess materials and upcyclable waste. If you find that the cost-benefit analysis determines that the building conditions suffice for a retrofit, you can purchase the property or move forward with your upgrade towards better energy performance. The core of permaculture is observation of natural systems. You'll want to be directly on site to take these observations. This will be especially successful if you have the chance to observe different seasons, different times of day, and different weather events. All of this info will help you conceptualize what you can do with the space. Choosing the project site is one of the most important decisions that you have to make, and it's the largest investment of the whole project. Here are some things you'll want to look for when you make site visits and tour potential properties. The best climate for a biothermal regulated home with permaculture integration is in a temperate or hot environment with less than 60% humidity and regular rainfall of over 50 inches per year but you must account for evaporation. You'll want to look up the rainfall stats after evaporation for your area to find the correct measurement. The most challenging biothermal regulated homes are ones that are built in very cold environments or those with constant high humidity. The orientation of the building is key, but the correct orientation depends on a number of location-based factors. Generally, you'll want the window wall or the greenhouse to face south to west if you need more heat, or a place that is cold more often than hot, and you'll also want the window wall or greenhouse to face southeast if you need to cool, or a place that is more often hot than cold. Water tanks should be positioned in the northwest if you live in a cold climate so they're less likely to freeze, or the northeast if you live in a hot climate to prevent overheating. I should mention here that I'm speaking in the Northern Hemisphere, but this would be flipped for the Southern Hemisphere with the greenhouse wall facing north and water tanks on the south side. Observe where the building lies on an elevation map. If in a cold place, avoiding buildings that are on the valley floor will help because of cold sink and cold winds in winter. To block out cold and strong winds coming from the poles, plant evergreen trees at least 10 feet away from the building. This minimizes heat loss due to wind. Speaking of trees, they have many advantages to energy conservation of a building, so you'll want to take note of any existing ones as well as how much space you have to potentially plant more. Remember that deciduous trees on the south and west sides still provide shade in summer to cool the building, but lose leaves in autumn, which allow the winter sunlight to enter and warm the building. Patios and overhangs should be assessed, particularly by adding shade to the west and southern sides if overheating is a problem. You'll also want to look at any existing ponds, rivers, creeks, lakes, and other hydrology features. 
Water always moves from a high place to a low place via gravity, so you can visit your site while it's raining to get a full picture of where water is directed to and maybe some ways you can improve that to help the water table and prevent erosion events. Think about your Zone 1 system and what you want it to look like. A mixture of perennials and annuals is always preferred, including fruit trees, vegetables, and herbs. In hot climates, courtyards can help keep spaces cool. Kitchens should be arranged in the eastern side of the building, living quarters on the north sides, and dining and bath areas on the west side. Reading rooms, libraries, and offices benefit from good daylight when facing south, and courtyards can be built with trees and aquaponic systems for additional green cooling. Note the materials of the existing home and how new materials you introduce will interact with them. You may choose rammed earth constructions, earth bags, stone, brick, adobe, straw bale, and timber frame construction. If you plan to retrofit with permaculture design where humidity is above 60%, avoid the Earthship model which will have problems with high humidity. Instead, look at the lightweight building materials local to the area. You can still employ green roofing, subterranean aspects, and sustainable energy systems, but the greenhouse system inside the home will cause humidity problems and may need some creativity to reimagine with proper humidity control. Single pitch shed roofing is preferred pitch to the north. Avoid butterfly-shaped roofs. Lofted areas are warm and can be used for reading areas, small bedrooms or lounges, and storage space. Now that you've done your basic observations, you'll want to acquaint yourself with the larger surroundings. You'll want to study indigenous plants, insects, and other animals that live in your area. At the same time, you need to think about the zone one that surrounds the building. Look for the areas which get the most sun and identify slopes that cause water to travel and pool. You also need to assess legal constraints and zoning laws for your area. You need to know how experimental you can get without breaking laws and causing more trouble for yourself. And next, you'll want to determine if the existing systems are operating at optimum levels. You need to perform an energy audit. Utility cost savings may come from simply assessing leaks, filters, faulty wiring, and other structural issues. Review utility bills from the last two years to determine if energy consumption has risen. This is a sign that systems are not functioning optimally. To assess the air tightness of the building envelope, you'll want to inspect windows, doors, gaps around vents and pipes and moisture problems. This is important because even if you get the most energy-efficient appliances, you can lose all your gains from not having a sealed home. Existing windows may also need to be updated for climate, sun, and noise exposure. Speaking of, let's talk about windows and doors for a moment. It turns out that sloping window walls that you might commonly see with some biothermal homes probably aren't worth it. If it's in a place that rains or snows often, leaks and snow buildup can cause lots of problems with your design. And if in a place that gets very hot, you most likely don't need the slope. If your greenhouse is attached to the body of the house, make sure there is an exterior rated door to allow you to close off that space from the interior of the home. You'll also want to add double hung windows to act as vents so you can move heat into the house when you want to and bring in fresh air when you want to. 
You also don't want to build your adjacent greenhouse with bio-waste like straw bale as it will degrade faster than you'd like. Round windows, doors, or homemade doors may present problems for sealing and may prove challenging if you don't know how to repair them. Windows facing south and west in the northern hemisphere need two feet of shade above them to help keep the room cool. The famous and beautiful concept of making bottle walls do better on the south, east, and west sides. North-facing bottle walls will only work well in a year-round hot climate as they do not have insulation. Ultimately, you have to balance the project's goals to become a sustainable building with its security goals to prevent natural and man-made disaster. Now that you've done some deeper investigation into observing the land and the building and how they interact, it's time to start the envisioning process. We need to talk about creating a base map. A base map forms the basis for the design. Maps are easily acquired using Google Earth, Google Maps, or other similar online tools. If you can, acquire a contour map showing the terrain. It will prove extremely useful during the next step. If you can't get a map for whatever reason, maybe you could sketch one, creating a rough base map that shows the site's most critical features and what's currently on it. I would suggest including names of roads and other landmarks, a compass indicator, wider locations such as neighboring properties, scale, and anything that can't be changed. Remember, the map is super important. It's a base layer which all other layers are compiled on top of as you make your observations. Map the watershed. You need to figure out how you plan to incorporate water into your design. Start by creating a rainwater site flow map. This involves figuring out the watershed boundary that is the ridges and hills in the larger landscape which direct water downwards. What you'll find when you map this out is that the watershed creates a water flow pattern and your property and building are somewhere in that watershed. This gives you a clearer picture of the larger water trends in the area and how your site fits into it. You always wanna know what is upstream from your watershed, especially industry, as this can determine the quality and amount of water you receive downstream. In addition, the watershed moves soil, so certain soil characteristics will be present depending on the way your watershed behaves. Even if your land is flat, it still has a watershed and a water flow pattern that will impact your design. Rainwater volume calculations are also useful at this stage and can be determined by using the square footage of your rainwater catchment surface like a roof and how much rainfall falls per year in your area. For more information, you can listen to episode 40, Intro to Water Harvesting. The more rainwater you harvest on site, the less you have to use the already taxed groundwater system. Next, you'll need to create your sector compass. Sectors are important because they are on the map to represent directional forces coming from outside the site that impact the inside of the site. Your site, or zone zero, will be in the center of the compass. The first sector that you'll define is the sun sector because the path of the sun is different in the summer and the winter. You need to find out the degree in which the sun rises in the east and when it sets in the west in each season, then define it on your sector compass. Other elemental sectors should be included like water, wind, and fire. 
When you understand where these elements are coming from, you can design around them and to mitigate their potential risks to damaging your site. There are other sectors too. Wildlife sectors should be examined and how they impact the space. Human sectors definitely alter the site. For example, you may want to block out unwanted views, smells, and noises with certain natural features. Socioeconomic sectors should also be assessed. How does your site help improve the area around it, and how does it provide for the community at large? The sector compass helps you envision where new features should be placed on your site for your needs and desires. The next order of business is to create your zone map. I outlined zone maps in episode 44, Permaculture Zones and How to Use Them. Zones are defined as areas that radiate outward from a central point, what is called your zone zero. Zones are particularly concerned with how human activity interacts with the environment around us, efficiency of movement, and a reduction of unnecessary human effort. Use the zone system to position your various site elements, such as gardens, trees, a chicken coop, on your site according to your needs and use for them. The greater the need or use, the closer that we place it to zone zero. The great thing about zones is that they're flexible and scalable to any site. Zone planning helps you conceptualize how often you need to use something and how often you need to maintain something. By using zones and sectors, you'll learn to be efficient with your energy planning, and this determines the placement of elements such as trees, gardens, animal housing and pasture, other structures, buildings, and other goals for your site. Zones are open to interpretation and change over time. This is a good time to do other kinds of envisioning as well. Create a dream list of the top 10 features you want your site to have. Build as many layers on top of your base map as you'd like. Always start with the larger climate first and become more definitive as you focus in on your particular site. You may also want to try soil jar testing and soil mapping different areas of the site. You need to know what plants will do well when you first move in and then which plants may need to be planted later in the succession after soil has been repaired and improved by the addition of organic matter like manure and compost. So now that you understand the larger systems and forces at work on your site and affecting your building, you can begin to design by the elements. Always start with essentials first, like infrastructure. This includes accesses like roads and paths, uh, water systems like storage, harvesting, and irrigation, and your building like your home, workshop, and other outbuildings. Create your short and long-term plan for fencing if needed and consider how animals will work in your system as you may need paddocks, electric fences, and other barriers. The site map will help you sketch microclimates and determine cultivation areas for food, building materials, firewood, and to maintain biodiversity. So let's look at how the elements can guide us through the process of retrofitting a site. I'll start with the element of earth. Assess the site for recycling debris and other waste that can be transformed into a functional part of the site. This minimizes the amount of waste going to landfills while utilizing existing materials. Take a look at the wall insulation. In order to create an efficient home or building, you must take care of the envelope, that is the roof, walls, and floor. If these have limited efficiency from the beginning, it will be more difficult to update later. 
It's something that should not be sacrificed, and the same goes for the earlier points about windows and doors. Finished walls should use low VOC or no VOC paint, which stands for volatile organic compounds. And if you do not wish to paint, you can use natural plaster, lime wash, uh, casein or milk paint, and oil finishes on wood. You also need to decide if your existing roof needs updating. Add natural insulation, and there are many formaldehyde-free options available now, including sheep's wool, cotton or denim, cork, and cellulose that's made from recycled newsprint. This has a big impact on your heating and cooling. Natural materials for flooring require resilience because they must be able to handle water damage and other wear. So there's bamboo, recycled wood, natural tiles, cob floors, and cork flooring. Floors should be sealed with natural product in the high water trafficked areas. Cabinetry in the kitchen and throughout the home should also be made from natural materials as many industrially made cabinets are contaminated with various chemicals. Wood shelving and solid wood doors are best. Limit the amount of appliances necessary to run the building. Large equipment will require maintenance, repair, and replacement. Low-tech and outdoor cooking options reduce the need for more technology in the building. And appliance energy efficiency particularly in kitchens and bathrooms, will make drastic differences in your energy consumption and increases the value of your home through energy-efficient ratings. There are still a wide variety of design choices despite these guidelines, with materials like quartz, soapstone, granite, wood, ceramics for counters, backsplashes, and flooring. You can make an incredibly spacious and beautiful home while still centering efficiency and simplicity. In addition to this, you want to design your room placement correctly for the elements. You'll need to pull out a blueprint of the building to assess this properly. Pantries and dry storage should be on the north side of the building where it is going to remain the coolest. Kitchens benefit from being close to the pantry. Slope the roof north and bring it all the way to the ground, burying it with a green roof which will shed cold from sharp northern winds. Always build green roofs with local plants to prevent water usage and loss. Bathrooms should be placed in the east and west sides, not the south to avoid overheating. Cold climates will benefit from bedrooms along the south window wall during winter, and north side bedrooms will stay cool and dark in summer. The next element is air. You need to assess the air quality in the home and figure out if you need to update the natural ventilation systems. How well does fresh air intake in your area reduce heating and cooling needs? Windows should be placed strategically for best air ventilation. Consider how the materials you've used in the building, as well as any fireplaces or indoor ovens, affect air quality. Air seal the ceiling and add more insulation if needed. This is especially useful in the bathroom. It's efficient to use timer switches on bathroom vents, this will help reduce humidity and mold problems in your bathroom without burning too much energy. And if you have a basement or crawl space, you'll want this to be air sealed as well for best efficiency. Next, we'll talk about the element of water. Water is a massively important element in your retrofit design. Use flow reducing fixtures wherever possible to lower your water usage. 
the bathrooms are the best place to curtail water usage in the building. Create a water organizing module for filtering your water, whether that's catchment or otherwise. And you can learn more about how to do this in episode 40, Intro to Water Harvesting. Avoid multiple head showers and use alternatives to regular flush toilets like low flush using gray water or compost toilets. Harvest your gray water from sinks into an aquaponic system or greenhouse. Use natural soaps and cleaners in your home or building for this to function at its best. You can experiment with other types of black water systems for human waste, such as growing building materials in a black water field and utilizing secondary vermicompost instead of traditional septic systems. The key here is whenever possible, catch water and whenever possible, reuse water. Keep water in your system and your system will thank you for it. We've now reached the final element of sun and fire. Evaluate your use of the building for its occupancy patterns and then apply daylight and lighting sensors like solar lights in appropriate locations like hallways and paths. Energy efficient lighting is an important part of the design. Plant with verticality in mind in your greenhouse during the summer months to create natural shading on the south side. In winter, grow 